0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Smackdown 6 podcast, the only podcast on the internet covering the Smackdown 6 era of, you guessed it, Smackdown. That's from summer 2002 until early 2004, a time when wrestling itself was maybe the most important it's ever been to the wrestling product in WWE television history. And each week on the podcast, I'm joined by an illustrious guest. Uh, You know, I I have this amazing you know, just just shelf of people I can kind of pick off and dust off and gonna kind of blow it off, and I go, oh, let's bring this guy back, let's do it. So this week, coming off the shelf, Chris Demetrenko. how you doing, Chris?
1: Ah, uh, good. Now that all this dust is off of me, I really appreciate that. Absolutely,
0: I I love you know I gotta I gotta take care of my guys. So you're <laughs> yeah. you've been dusted off. Welcome to the podcast here. Glad to have you. And yeah, today we're gonna be talking about the April tenth, two thousand three episode of SmackDown taped on April eighth. Location is the Allstate Arena in Chicago. Chicago, big wrestling town. Uh, I feel It's only grown in recent years, I feel like, in some ways, for how important it's been to wrestling. I mean, some great shows there, obviously. Uh, there's some takeover shows. I know AEW does pretty much annual shows there now. They do their – is it All Out or whatever? I don't know their they one. But they, they, their September pay-per-view, they do. They always do that, um, which you will have seen because this is coming out after September. So there you go. <clears throat> Pardon me. Anyway, so one thing I'll hit before I uh, ask Chris a question here is that I'll also say – for TV rating, this is a 3.2, which did not beat Raw. That's something we're tracking here on the podcast. Did SmackDown beat Raw in the ratings this time? No, it'll be probably another couple months before it does. Uh, so that's uh, that's the story there with that. And so, yeah, we're going to get into this. Now, Chris, we're coming back off of um, WrestleMania 19. Is WrestleMania 19 a show that you have any, any kind of memory of or any knowledge of as a show? Because I know you, you weren't really watching wrestling at the time. Is that something that has kind of been present since then. So have you have you gone back to it? Have you heard things about matches there? Is there anything kind of significant to it
1: for you? Well, um honestly I haven't watched the whole show of of that particular WrestleMania. I've seen the highlights. I mean the big one Brock and Undertaker, that's kind of what stands out to me. Oh it's Um, Brock and Kirk. Oh, yes, that's right. Brock and Kurt, that's the one that stands out to me. Yeah. And uh, you can edit that in later, Matt. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> make, make me sound smart. Yeah. Um, especially since uh, they showed it, actually, a replay of it in, in this week's episode. And that particular moonsault that Brock tried to do on uh, yes, Kurt. The star, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I feel somewhat traumatized even having watched that. They really love showing it. They're, they're,
0: and I think, you know, they they have the good fortune of it being a real thing that happened and it not permanently hurting Brock Lesnar in a meaningful way. Like as far as I know, he doesn't have any sort of paralysis or anything like that, um, you know, all because he had this insanely thick neck, I guess, which is crazy to think about that. Maybe a good reason maybe I should get, work out more is that I can do all sorts of acrobatics and I won't break my neck doing it if I'm jacked enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, Brock doesn't really have a neck, so maybe that's yeah. why he didn't, he didn't break it. Um, there, he's, there isn't one anymore. He's
0: got those muscle things that are like they're like forty-five degrees. It <laughs> they, they yeah. connect like the base of your your, your chin they're, to they're your shoulders, like
1: there. like up to his his ears. Yeah, and uh, and so he's he's okay. But it was really like a. It's definitely one of those like don't try this at home moments. Oh, and and honestly, something that I. Um, i'm I'm a, f- a little frightened of every time i watch wrestling it's i don't know why it's kind of a new thing for me being yeah. worried about the wrestlers and i worry about that kind of situation so that's what stands out to me from that particular wrestlemania
0: yeah no for sure i mean you said it's a don't try it at home it's a don't even try wrestlemania thing it didn't work out there at safeco field in seattle
1: don't try this if you're brock lesnar
0: yeah. Don't try well because he's hit have you have you seen footage of him hitting a shooting star press before? Because he's done it.
1: No, I haven't. Oh, it's fantastic. So I, I encourage you, Chris, after
0: the show, go go do some Googling there. Brock Lesnar shooting star press. There's some, some from OVW, but there's some actually from a dark match on Raw, you can see. And so it's crazy because you're it's in a WWF ring at the time. I think it's probably it's when he was a tag team partner with Shelton Benjamin. And he hits a shooting star press. And he's just this big guy and he's whoop whoop. I mean you know, he has the crazy Brock Lesnar hops, so he just gets up there and flips around and
1: Anyway, it's pretty special, so uh, I recommend checking that out. Even though can, it seems uh, can sorry. anyone, I mean, even sort of like a, is there another example of a guy that size who can do that?
0: Shooting star press is a good question. Uh, I mean, moonsault would be close. I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, Bill Demott could do a moonsault. Moonsault's <laughs> a little lesser. I mean, a backflip period is is impressive. There, the only one I could think of offhand, and I'm almost afraid to, to say it because I don't want to get the name wrong here, is the guy who at the Olympics. Um, let me see here. Let me just do it's just some quick research here. Um is a guy who what, yeah, here we go. Gable Stevenson. I don't know if I'm saying his name right here, but he won the men's freestyle uh, gold medal at the Olympics this past year and he's somebody who is uh, kind of connected to WWE already and he has ridiculous uh, athletic prowess. Like he does the uh, he does like a like a cartwheel into a backflip sort of thing and he's just a huge dude. Like it's unbelievable. And oh, wow. uh, He's one of those guys that I think that if you could see him actually, if they get him to actually wrestle, like he's a Kurt Angle level freak athlete that way. So um, I hope they can get him there, or I hope you know, obviously he's 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 young too. He's like what is he 21? Wow. So who knows? He could he could have a whole career in combat sports or something else, and then if he wants to (laughs) come out and you know get get your sports entertainment money, buddy, because yeah, he's got he's got the hops for it. It's pretty impressive. Well, they should sign him. There you go. I, he's been he's been backstage for stuff, and I think there's even a Paul Heyman connection, so I wouldn't be shocked if they were going to back up the truck form at some point here.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, that was WrestleMania, and so let's talk about last week's episode, which was the first SmackDown after WrestleMania, and Brock Lesnar is still pretty concussed from his shooting star press, so he wasn't around. They're like, WWE Champion Brock Lesnar's not here, Kurt Angle's not here, he's injured, they talk about it on this show as well. And so they do, let's do a number one contenders tournament that fills up four matches, so you had... Undertaker beat Rey Mysterio, Chris Benoit beat A-Train, John Cena beat Eddie Guerrero, and Rhino beat Big Show. And then Sable, of all people, came back to feud with Tori Wilson, and Vince McMahon declared Hulk Hogan would sit at home for the remainder of his contract, making us wonder why there was a retirement stipulation for a WrestleMania match to begin with if they would essentially just make it up even though he won. Kind of a weird thing. And Chris, I'm very interested in your Sable thoughts when we get to her. So she's going to show up on the show.
1: Lots of thoughts. Lots <laughs> for, thank you.
0: Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, I'm just gonna tease it now. If you think of a gender swap for Sable, uh, what happened on the show was a crime. I mean, and even then, in today's society, that would still be considered a crime in a lot of ways. So, there we go. We'll get to that when we get to when we get to Sable. A crime? A crime? Kind no. of. Yeah, I think so. If you no. if you did what Sable did on the show, I think you would get arrested. Yes.
1: Okay, maybe. Yeah. Now that <laughs> now that I'm thinking about we can, it. We can, yeah. we can, <laughs> It's really, like, super creepy. I should, I should is, at very is. least get canceled, if not arrested. Canceled, Can, this is the, canceled, so the, canceled that like you actually have to remove episodes featuring me from your podcast.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I just be like, how what, what happened? To, it goes from 85 to 87, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we had to get rid of, had to get rid of <laughs> this is the way it, yeah, but I mean, in this podcast, I guess we're just gonna come out and say that Sable should be canceled. Mrs. Brock Lesnar herself, which is bizarre to think about, also, uh, on the show. I guess this is the first show that has both uh, Brock Lesnar and his future wife, Sable, on it. Why I didn't you think about that? This is a historic hey, show, Chris. there you go. Yeah. There's going to be a connection backstage here. I assume there was. And I mean connection like a love connection. I don't mean anything uh, literal or physical about that. Maybe you didn't think that, and I'm just talking myself into this. That's okay. Anyway, okay. Let's we'll start, start with Velocity. This is what the good folks in Chicago, Illinois would have seen on their television screen. No, in person, not on the television screens, uh, before SmackDown happened. So we had a couple dark matches here. Sean O'Hare defeated someone. I just on my database here, it just has some question marks. Now there's some indie wrestlers who show up on this show that I kind of wonder if it was one of them. That'd be very interesting, but I'm not totally sure about that. And then Chris Canyon defeated Tyson Ducks. Who, Tyson Ducks is uh, a perennial dark match guy on this show. He's uh, you know I think London Ontario's own Tyson Ducks. So there we go. And then on Velocity, we had three matches here. Tajiri dodged a blockbuster neckbreaker of Shannon Moore's. And then he followed up with a buzzsaw kick and got the 1-2-3. So Tajiri got rid of Shannon Moore. A-Train hit a derailleur backbreaker on poor Chad Collier to get the 1-2-3. And then the FBI defeated the team of Funaki and Los Guerreros after the FBI got the kiss of death on Funaki, which is you you hit a backbreaker on a guy, and then I guess Palumbo did. And then uh, I think Johnny hit the top rope leg drop on him. If I recall correctly also, Nunzio was thrown on top of him, so there's kind of a – Nunjia was kind of knocked out, and the and the FBI did the, uh, like, oh, they're kind of cheating because they're in the match, but they're also – they're not tagged in, so it's not legal. And that's one of those things where I'm just like, that seems like barely cheating to me. So, well, not
1: anyway. by – certainly
0: not by their standards. I mean, but the thing is, there's is a recourse for it. Like, if you think that's really cheating, disqualify the guys. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. I'm going to say. Right. the you know? move. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this week's episode of SmackDown, and uh, we start off with something rather interesting. Um, We see Brock Lesnar. He's coming into the building earlier tonight. Uh, Obviously, it's the first time we've seen him since WrestleMania. And he rounds a corner, and he starts to shake some hands. And so I think these are supposed to be fans, if I'm not mistaken. That's the vibe I got. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. I I got the sense as well. Mm -hmm. But did you see who was in that crowd of people, Chris?
1: Did I see who was in that crowd? There was actually – there was one who looked familiar.
0: Was there a name? Oh, yeah. There were a couple big people there. So – one of the first people who shake the hand he shakes is a guy named uh, CM Punk, uh, who is just oh, standing Punk there. Oh,
1: Punk was one of them.
0: Yes, he's just standing oh. there. And so it's interesting because I think CM Punk at this point, he had been on um, NWA TNA uh, back before it was Impact Wrestling. And so he was kind of around – not like – he was around on the indie scene. I, I bring up NWA TNA because that's kind of like I would have seen him on there conceivably because I watched some of that at the time. And so CM Punk, just like – he's just there. He's got his longer hair there. And uh, yeah, he was. seeing Punk's there, and then, and then Brock goes, and some girls like, can "You sign my shirt," which essentially is on her boobs. And he does that, but next to her is Mr. Kennedy, uh, who later who later become Mr. Kennedy. He's got sli- a slightly different look, if I recall correctly. There. Okay, but,
1: uh, yeah, that was the one that I recognized. Yeah. I I didn't recognize uh, uh, Punk. Uh, did they ever have a program between them, Brock and Punk?
0: They did. Yeah, they had a SummerSlam match. That's apparently quite. Did I think they... I've seen it.
1: Do you think that, did they ever reference this?
0: Great question. I don't know. That seems like it'd be right up CM Punk's alley, right? To get on the mic and be like, "I remember, I stood backstage, I shook your hand." I hope they did. I don't know if they would though. I really hope they did. That'd be almost but, a, a you know a big miss if they did that.
1: So, but what were they going for with Brock signing that that woman's boobs? Like that 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 Brock is a ladies' man. I mean, it is particularly weird because. Uh, this is, as you mentioned, the first episode where his wife is actually also on the show. Right, she's there.
0: She's there. Now they weren't mar- they weren't married at that point. They were. I think they were meeting each other then. So they'll go oh, on later I see. to become yes. Okay. But it, it is it it's a very it much inter- better. it's an interesting question, right? Because a lot of the stuff on the show you can always kind of come back to, like, so what are they trying to tell me? Like, what am I supposed to take from this about Brock Lesnar? It's kind of the thing of like, it's still a little bit of that attitude era, kind of that 90s sort of thing, where it's like, well, well, look, he's. You can tell he's a big deal or he's a champion because, you know, he's. I guess he's not a sex symbol technically, but like that's how. No. The, the, cur- the currency of this is this is gonna sound bad, but I, I don't believe this. They did it at the time. But it's kind of like he is here's Brock how a woman could show sex their worst. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be very interested. I'm sure there's some people. I mean, he does it for some people. Surely he does because he's this huge, huge dude. But um, not like yeah, not like a uh, Fabio type. I don't know why I didn't have more handsome uh, jack eye than that, but Fabio. Um, I guess The Rock would be more objectively kind of handsome guy there. So, yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's like here's what a woman could do. She can be like, ah, oh, sign my boobs. And it's like, ah, oh, that's nice for him, I guess. I don't know.
1: That's the well, what's funny answer, about that interaction was uh, she basically, you know, he approaches her. She basically points at her boobs and and he automatically knows, OK, that means that I'm just going to sign them. I mean, I like I feel like you should be like, you know. Uh, like, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Um, are you positive? You want to get a little bit
0: more consent. I would say that a makes sense. That is
1: appropriate. Um, yeah, uh, but no, he just went right for it.
0: Yeah, he also he also totally within his rights to go. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, I have some paper because yeah. he he's absolutely not uh, at because you know it could you could you could be you could be like us and we're kind of like we're judging Brock Lesnar right now. Uh, and he'd be like, I don't, I don't want that. He wants to stay cleaner for the, you know, for the kids and stuff like that. But no, he's just, he's happy to sign. And to be clear, she's, he's signing the shirt, but he's signing on the breast. So that is yes. what I say. It's not like she's like not signing cleavage or anything like that. No skin. Uh, but uh, unmistakable the, uh, the effort they're doing at least in some ways. And so after we see Brock, uh, well, actually, sorry, Michael Cole also tells us there's a champion versus champion match tonight between Brock and Matt Hardy, trying to make that seem like a big deal, I guess. You know, Matt Hardy's cruiserweight champion, kind of a loser. And then the pyro goes off, and we're live to tape in Chicago, Illinois. And we're told the tournament to determine Brock Lesnar's challenger at Backlash continues. We've got Undertaker against John Cena tonight, which will become our main event. We find out later. And Chris Benoit is going up against Rhino. And also, Piper's Pit is back tonight. So, Roddy Roddy Piper. Chris, did you have uh, – did you remember Roddy Roddy Piper from childhood? Was that something
1: that, came, that oh, he was abso- a part absolutely. of really No, for sure, because I was, uh, I was watching, I guess, when I was – Seven eight years old, so no, he would have been um, he would have definitely been a been a part of it. Uh, so the whole lineup is just stacked. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a pretty exciting looking episode, and uh, we'll detail what we actually think about it. But um, I mean, this is a pretty big card, and to throw in you know Roddy Piper's return, that's a big deal. Yeah, I, you know the. The the contenders tournament is good and
0: and I I get it like I'm thinking about it because like I always like when tournaments like that happen I understand that if you if you did a tournament every time you needed to find a, a like a contender for somebody you'd be doing like twelve a year and it's not sustainable but I do like it as a you know a thing to do from time to time and it works well here too because yeah like last week we had four matches like they're still in this place right now with SmackDown where they're not putting enough um they're not giving the matches enough time because they're just because Paul Heyman's not booking them so they're just not doing that they're just filling the show with other ways because Vince is kind of at the ha- the uh at the controls again uh, but tonight there's at least some it's a little bit decent time at least the main event has some actual substance to it mm-hmm. which is a bit later on so yeah in the Piper's Pit your mileage may vary we'll find out and talk about that so our first match tonight Brock Lesnar against Matt Hardy WWE champion against cruiserweight champion and uh, Brock comes out first. He gets he gets a decent reaction. He's in Chicago, you know, this, this hot crowd historically, and it's, it's true here too. And he's all smiles. He comes down to the ring with WWE title around his waist. Um, Taz calls Brock subhuman, and I think he meant superhuman because subhuman is like what I would say if I thought like, I sucked or was terrible or
1: disgusting and bad. I, I mean, mean unless that. you meant subhuman like a grizzly bear. I don't oh know. maybe yeah
0: he's going he's going evolutionary he's like he's like a mammal but not like a human but he's like kind of like a big ass mammal I could see that maybe yeah maybe it's
1: maybe. not out of the possibility. he's, he's a for, beast remember
0: he is a beast he's not a beast incarnate yet but he will be later on at some point mm-hmm. but he I mean we but he is yes, he's some sort of proto beast at least and so yeah I mean right off the bat they're showing us the shooting star press from WrestleMania again he gets up there he over rotates he kind of sm- kind of slides on his forehead towards uh, Kurt Angle and somehow he's here and standing upright and. At this point, it would be probably, I think, what it would it be nine days removed from WrestleMania. And, so, and Brock seems, he seem like, does he seem fine tonight or what? Like, I think he seems like
1: he's completely normal. Um, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think I forgot about that as the as the match progressed, and there really wasn't any indication. Yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah, it's wild. it's wild. I mean, it wasn't just shooting Star Press tonight, but, uh, I yeah. mean, that would have been ballsy.
0: That would have been cool if a heel at some point was just kind of like, hey, Brock, when are you going to try that again, huh? Are you too much of a baby to do it? And he's like, no, I'm not a baby, but I'm just not going to do it. And just like have some sort of like baiting him sort of thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think that would have been great Could do that there. I do. I will say I've played recent WWE games for like the PlayStation and uh, Brock Lesnar's top rope finisher is shooting star press there, which I'm really grateful for. They kept that in there. It doesn't look the way he does it. But if you put him on the top ropes and do it, even now, even you know in 2020 with his, you know, he's kind of like UFC look, they you can still get him up there for a shooting star press, it's quite fun. Can you can you land it wrong and injure your neck? That should be an option. That should 100 be an option with Brock where you go for it and if you escape it, he's like, Wah! and he, like, you like just <laughs> pin him. I think it's a great idea. I'll recommend we we'll send that in and we'll say Chris and Matt yeah. had a great idea. You know, it was all yours. And so Matt comes out and Matt has his Matt facts. He says Matt's book is a New York Times bestseller, of course. Which is kind of fun, I like the of course on there. And Matt is currently the longest reigning singles champion on SmackDown, uh, which, you know, he won. The, the, I've, if I'm not mistaken, there are two singles belts on SmackDown, the world title and the cruiserweight title. And Brock has been champion uh, with the WWE title for nine days. So, yes, Matt has him licked. I kind of like that. as a. I like those as like a Matt, like that's the level of thing he's doing. Like he's like finding.
1: It is, is pretty fun.
0: Yeah. He's one of the dumb excuses. are just like, technically, I'm the tallest guy here until somebody else comes or, you know, something like that. Uh, Michael Cole clarifies this is non-title, um, which I guess is obvious. I mean, obviously Brock can't win the cruiserweight title. But uh, – and I guess – yeah, I mean they've never really been that, that firm about like, well, Matt can't win the, the heavyweight title because it's a cruiserweight. I guess they're kind of – you could punch up if you needed to maybe. Mm-hmm, but, but Michael sure. Cole says don't don't even have to think about that. It's not happening here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it starts – Matt Hardy starts. He lays down the cruiserweight title between him and Brock, which is kind of like that's what you would do if it was for the title. Um, but Brock just kicks it away, <laughs> so take that cruiserweight title. And and then Brock lays down the WWE title and Matt goes to pick it up, but Brock steps on it. And so Matt's like, you can't get it off the ground because Brock's on top of it. And so Brock clubs Matt down. And so Shannon Moore, at one point, he hops on the apron, he distracts Brock and the referee. And so Matt hits Brock with the WWE title and that gets two. So the match is underway. There's already a belt shot and there's already some chicanery here. There we go. Uh, Matt does a kind of neck breaker on the ropes, he follows it with a swinging neck breaker. And then Matt tries to jump on Brock's neck on the rope, so Brock's kind of like kind of six one nine position sort of thing, and so Matt goes to jump on Brock's neck, but Brock stands up and he has Matt in electric chair drop position, and he drops him. And I thought I thought the the drop was a little
1: awkward, like where he landed. Did you notice that too? Um, do you mean in terms of like landing almost on his neck?
0: Yeah. Mhm.
1: Yeah. yeah. It was it was
0: close. I was a little bit worried for him because because usually that one like is pretty like. I guess you usually just ride it down and you just stay flat on your back the whole time and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he almost landed on his neck and shoulders. That could have been bad. So Brock starts clotheslining Matt. He gets a belly-to-belly suplex. Uh, He goes to this power slam, Matt, but Shannon Moore saves him instead. And then Matt goes for a twist of fate, but Brock catches Matt and he grabs him and he hits the F5. And you get the one, two, three. And so there you go. The Cruiserweight champion loser is Matt Hardy. And then Brock Lesnar raises WWE title triumphantly as the match ends. And so like Brock has been used multiple occasions on the show to essentially deflate other champions. Like the team angle. I remember he like beat them both up in a handicap match a while back. And it's like, man, I know you want Brock to be strong, but like, can we give him other people. Like you don't have to book him against these specific people to have him look strong. you have him book him against other people. Uh, but so instead, I,
1: I yeah. kind of disagree. I mean, I, I really Think didn't so? like it when Brock yeah. beat team angle. I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that that definitely hurt them. But in this case, I, uh, I felt that the match really highlighted Matt's resourcefulness yes. without really overbooking it. Um, and it made, I think, Brock look like a beast without really diminishing Hardy. In fact, it sort of elevates his profile as a, as a cruiserweight champion that, that by virtue of seemingly only that, he gets a match with Brock. So, and, and I thought it was a fun little sprint. All around, great start in my opinion. Yeah, okay, not bad. I, I do like
0: that point of just saying, like, because he's actually, um, because he's actually in the match against Brock, that he's actually better off, that he he looks better off, which I think is true. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're told that we're going to hear more about uh, Vince McMahon exiling Hulk Hogan from SmackDown, which he did last week, when he said he'd pay Hogan to stay home. And then we see a Piper's Pit promo. And it's Roddy Piper, he's telling us about the first Piper's Pit and some guy named Frankie, I don't know, some sort of jobber guy. And they argue before Roddy Piper hits him, And ends up saying directly to the camera, just when they think they know the answers, I change the questions. Kind of a little Roddy Piper is in there, which is kind of fun. And then we get a video recap of last week's events. Pardon me. So Vince says he wants to apologize to Hogan. Hulk Hogan comes down. Vince apologizes. Hogan's kind of not sure about it. But then Vince is like, I'm serious. They shake hands. Vince sets up the ramp. And then he says, we're going to pay Hogan. You're going to stay home. So you're not going to, you know. You're not going to have to retire. but We're going to pay you to make sure you don't show up anymore. And uh, and then Vince says, if you don't like that, you can see me in the parking lot. And so Hogan went to the parking lot to meet up with Vince. There's a bunch of cops there. And so Vince just yelled at Hogan to get in his limo and leave. And then Vince says, I never lose. So that's how the show ended last week was Vince in the rain, kind of you know derangedly saying to himself, I never lose. And then we come back. We see the announcers. And Taz is saying he doesn't feel bad for Hogan because he'll be paid to stay at home. And Cole says he's talked to Hogan, and he feels like the rug was pulled out from under him, which is true. So now, Chris, the question for me here is, like, so what about that angle makes you want to watch it? Like, is there anything about this that's compelling? Because essentially all that's doing is saying the guy you want to see isn't going to be on the show anymore.
1: Well, I mean, they need a good reason for it. Otherwise, uh, people are going to be – I mean, I guess they probably still are. There were a lot of Hogan signs out there. So presumably a lot of the crowd still thought that Hulk Hogan might come back.
0: That's, point. A,
1: That's a good point. But um, probably after this week, they'll get that like no he's there's going to be a bit of a hiatus because of this. So not a not a bad thing to do if, you know, you intend to bring him back after a few months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's
0: funny because he won't even last that long. I think he makes it until July. Like, he's he's back on the show before then, but then by July he's gone until 2005, which is wild to think about. Uh, and we'll cover it on the show, which is going to be good. And so next up here we see Sable comes down to the ring. She's carrying the Tori Wilson issue of Playboy, and she's here to watch Brian Kendrick and Tori Wilson go up against Jamie Noble and Nydia. Now, Chris, Sable came back on the show last week. Did you, did you have a knowledge of Sable?
1: Like, when Sable came out, what were, were you thinking? You're like, oh, look, it's this person. Oh, absolutely! I thought it was really exciting. Um, for one, I've always considered Tory to be an off-brand Sable. Like I feel right. like Tory's she's the stick, RC cola, which is uh, uh, yeah, because um, neither of them had you know particularly compelling personalities. Their um, their identity that. was their blonde hotness. That was that was it and their um centerfold aspirations and uh stable I mean I thought back in the day she was she was a fantastic character um her um you know initially coming in as a valet with Mark Marrow, uh then her branching out on her own I I thought she I thought Sable was fantastic
0: she was such a big she was such a big deal at the time.
1: And last week on the show, I kind of
0: highlighted um her acrimonious split with WWE, which is that she just quit. Uh, which is, you know, if you have a contract, you can't just quit, that sort of thing. But she was she was mad because she didn't want to be a wrestler, but then they made her women's champion, and they were like, Well, you're a women's champion, you should be on you go to house shows and wrestle there. And she was like, I don't want to wrestle though. I don't want to be champion. You just made me do this stuff. And so there was all sort of issues there. She ended up going to Nitro some night. Uh, Just sitting in the front row, and that was like a whole thing, even though she was not allowed to do that. And so, anyway. Wow, I didn't, uh, I didn't know about this. It's a big, it's a big thing, yeah. If you go, if you look at some stuff on the internet, there, there's some very interesting sable stuff. So the fact that she came back at all is wild.
1: So that's before this um, particular run that she has.
0: Yeah, she had, you know, burned a bunch of bridges, and then yet, uh, you know, four years later, they're paying her on television to to show up, and um, you know, kind of bury the hatchet because she. Um, you know, she's on for a while and then I don't know if she I don't know if she leaves in bad taste. At, I mean, she's you know, she's married to a guy who they bring back with relative frequency
1: uh, in Brock Lesnar now. And so that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But she's yeah.
1: But she's- she had mainstream popularity, so it, it oh, doesn't yeah. surprise me that they would bring her back because there's not that many crossover stars. And I mean, maybe she was the first. Female crossover star. Uh, I guess Fabulous Moolah was was somewhat well known. Maybe Miss Elizabeth. You know, I don't even think Miss Elizabeth was as well known outside of wrestling as yeah, interesting. as Sable was. So, so, that's why I was I was excited to see her back for sure. Yeah,
0: she, she- does have like it, it like it seems like if you told somebody kind of like our age in 2003, like, hey, do you know Sable's back in WWE? Like, oh wow, there there would be some knowledge of that because of the residual. Um, Impacts the attitude air, I think, right? So, yeah, sure. some, she's got some star power. She's got some star power, probably more so than than a lot of other people here.
1: So you see her come down, as you mentioned, with the yes. uh, the uh, the Playboy magazine, and I feel like for months now they've been talking about Tori Wilson. Uh, being the Playboy centerfold. Yeah. And and I know that, uh, I, I guess, further down the line, both Sable and Tori are, are back in Playboy as well. It almost seems like the Playboy centerfold is the equivalent of the SmackDown Women's Championship. None of these women, uh, including <laughs> Nydia, uh, uh, including Dawn Marie, none of them are aspiring to have any championship. All of them, literally all of them, all they want is to be the Playboy centerfold. It's I'm, – I'm really glad you brought
0: that up because that's an excellent point, which I, I think I remember early on in the, our podcast run here. I think I suggested, like, why isn't there a bikini contest title? Not saying that – I'm not saying, like, I think that's a good idea. I co signed This is my brilliant idea. Let's send it back in time and get me some checks. No. It just seems like something they would – they could do because that, that's all they did at the time. It was bikini contests and pilgrim fashion shows and Halloween things and – all that sort of thing. And so well, now I do
1: think they had yeah. some s- sexy gimmick matches further down the line in this yeah. Tori Wilson feud. Mm-hmm. But on some level, I mean, you're hitting on
0: something that I wonder if you went back in time and told them about they would do it. Like, I kind of wonder why they didn't make a Playboy title, like just like a belt yeah. and everything like that. And like you could have like, you know, Tori has it. And then she, you know, she faces Sable and there's some sort of thing and they have to pose together. Anyway, I'm not saying it's something that I think is a good idea. Uh, but on some level, business wise, I think it kind of was a good idea. And they didn't do it because imagine like, you, you could sell all those guys would want. I don't know. You want Tori to sign them and you could have well, the, they
1: clearly uh, had some kind Playboy. of deal going on with Playboy, yeah. I think, like the degree to which they were um, cross promoting each other on, oh, on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, that is actually probably not a not a bad idea. So
0: I we'll wonder talk- if it ever came up now and see now I want to now I want to talk to Tori. Did not ever talk about doing a Playboy title? Um, that's the kind of stuff I've ever talked to Tori Wilson. Just, I would never, I would never have the guts to talk to Tori Wilson about her being a playboy at all. I would just be kind of like, so you and Don Marie, uh, <laughs> at Royal Rumble in 2003, you guys really tangled about your dead father, who's dead in real life now. So, sorry to bring that up. Mm-hmm. So,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: hey, that, you can't even talk about that anymore. I know. Right? Remember your dad was on TV, and, uh, you and you're sad because he actually died, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, see, I mourned your father in 2003, so it's interesting that you're mourning him now. Uh, <laughs> Because I covered that when I was when I was 14. So Brian Kendrick and Tory Wilson against Jamie Noble and Nidia. And uh, Brian Kendrick, he's he's really goofy when he comes to the ring. He's posing, he's flexing on the top turnbuckle. Uh, you know, he's got kind of this very goofy the personality here, uh, which I enjoy. And so the match starts, and Jamie Noble blindsides Brian Kendrick, and he tries to throw Kendrick into Nidia's boot, but then Kendrick spins around, he hits him into the boot instead. And so Nydia tags in, and, and she kicks Brian Kendrick for a while, and Michael Cole tells us the rules are that it's mixed tag and not intergender. So I think I think saying that that's not supposed to happen is the idea, um, which he kind of makes right. it seem like it's Nydia's fault. But if he, she gets tagged in, then Tori Wilson should just come in. She doesn't need to get the tag to do it. She's just, should, mm-hmm. She should have the ring awareness. Come on, Tori. And so uh, Noel comes back in. He dominates Kendrick for a while before Kendrick gets an insiguri. He goes for his finisher, sliced bread number two, which is that running corner. Uh, flipping neckbreaker thing. Uh, But Noble turns that into a neckbreaker himself. And now uh, Taz takes the time to explain why Brian Kendrick's finisher is called sliced bread number two in that it is the next best thing to slice bread, which is, you know, it's kind of fun, kind of clever. It fits with like Brian Kendrick's, you know, he's an eccentric guy, which is a nice personality thing. I like that. Nydia tags in and Noble tries to press slam her into Kendrick, but Kendrick moves and it comes Tori and Tori's a house of fire. And we also see that Sable is watching her. So okay, she's there. And uh, Noble interferes a couple times, but the second time Kendrick drop kicks him away. And Tori gets the neck breaker, but Noble pulls Tori off of Nidia, and then so Kendrick goes to the top outside. He gets pushed off by Nidia, and then back in, Tori gets a tornado DDT on Nidia, and that gets the one two three. And we see Sable applaud Tori after her win. So a little bit of you know when they broke up the uh, the neckbreaker uh, cover there, I was like, oh what the heck's going on there? They want, to, they want to get Tori Wilson's tornado DDT finisher over because Tori has like essentially ha- has added a new finisher, despite being, you know, not an overly uh, impressive uh, person in the ring. Not her fault, I would say she wasn't get trained or necessarily enough. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, now she's got her tornado
1: DDT. So there you go, fun little bit of action there. Um, you know what? I thought that was an excellent match at the start. At the start, when the crowd was chanting, "We want Tori! We want Tori!" Oh, yeah. and she got the big pop when she got the hot tag. I'm like. Come on, WWE Universe. She's really not that good, right. and she's not amazing. But this match, I thought, was very good. I thought right. that everybody nailed their timing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, props, props to Tori. She she did well here.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny how much the fans can get behind you, especially in two thousand three. If you're hot, that is the that's what they think at the time. They're just like, "Go oh, hot, girl!" It's like, all right. I'm glad we've evolved a little bit past there. But at the time, it was a very uh, a very useful
1: thing for them. It was a compelling argument in, in favor of of a, of, a, of a character for sure. Um, exactly. It was compelling. It, yeah.
0: So when you go backstage, you see Chris Benoit come up to Brock Lesnar in the locker room to congratulate him on his title win. And <clears throat> He says, you know what? You're going to be facing me at Backlash. And then Rhino comes up and says that he's going to face him. He's going to beat uh, Benoit. And Brock says, you know, you can beat both of each other up. Because whoever faces a backlash will feel the pain. So there we go. So just establishing that there are some people who are in the tournament who want to face Brock. And then we, the next match, Chris Benoit against Rhino. And so this is – the interesting thing about this, which I'll say, is that Rhino was taken out pretty aggressively after beating Big Show by disqualification last week. Like A-Train came down. He got got Big Show disqualified. Uh, Big Show did a, a, a leg drop on Rhino's neck, and they talked about how Rhino had this neck surgery. And so I thought it was going to be like, OK, Big Show's going to have to take his place or something. I thought there was going to be a whole a whole thing there. But uh, no, I mean, Rhino's here tonight. He's completely fine. I don't know if they even really mention it uh, as a
1: thing that happened there. But uh, it they seemed like last week they mentioned something. a neck injury, but nothing about uh, the Big Show doing it.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, he has like the real life neck injury. And then he got like the, the leg drop trying to ch- like make the most of that. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. Funny thing. I don't know. A bit unusual that they would go through all the trouble and then be like, well, I don't know. So there we go. So Michael Cole also makes a point. Yeah, they they both have had neck troubles in the past. He wonders if they're going to try to work the neck against each other. So I guess we'll see. And so Ben Juan right. They, they start off. They tangle the corner early on and uh, they kind of pull back and they slap hands and supports and shit before they come out of there, which is kind of nice. They're trying to establishing this this kind of this, you know, unusual face versus face matchup here. And then Rhino does some hammerlock business on Benoit before Benoit gets a Northern Lights suplex on him. And then Benoit lights up Rhino with some chops, which bring him to the ground. But then Rhino gets up, he chops Benoit back, and Benoit sends Rhino off the ropes and goes for a dropkick. But Rhino grabs onto the ropes, and so Benoit falls hard to the mat. And like Benoit's dropkick here, he jumps so high and he falls so hard that it's like it's it's a really solid one-man bump there. Like I really enjoyed that. Did you did you appreciate that, Chris? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is – uh,
1: yeah, it was sweet. Very good little move there.
0: And uh, the, the, the commentators were talking about neck issues. They say, hey, you know, we're told Kurt Angle's going to get surgery tomorrow. We'll hear more about that later on, which I think they get into, but I'm not, I am not, don't remember that too, too clearly. Um, Rhino slams down Benoit with a belly-to-belly, and then he sets up for a gore in the corner, but Benoit lets Rhino hit the turnbuckle pad headfirst instead. And so Rhino recovers at least a little bit. He hits his big spine buster for two. And, uh, you know, I – I was kind of starting to be impressed by Rhino here. I was like, okay, like I, he, I was almost like maybe he wins this match and that would be good for him. He gets a little bit of play. Maybe, maybe Benoit will be fine with that too. I don't know. Like, are you impressed by Rhino here? Is Rhino showing anything for you? I did.
1: I mean, they they really elevated him as a credible threat. So I I thought it wasn't inconceivable that he could win that match.
0: Yeah, he's kind of like, and I mean, like he he seems like he's very much a like a, almost a one form replacement for Edge. Uh, in some ways, obviously he's, he's, you know, he's spearing people, he's in, right. kind of in a SmackDown six, um, kind of, uh, atmosphere. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, what's going on here. Uh, and so, but <clears throat> one knocks down Rhino, he hits a headbutt from like pretty much the farthest place you can across the ring. Like Rhino is essentially in the corner and then one goes to the other corner and flies across the ring, hits the headbutt, which is very impressive, but only gets two.
1: There was a long delay between when he could actually go towards the get the get the pinfall. Yeah. Um, still. Um, and I know this isn't, I guess, his principal finisher anymore, but I was surprised to see someone kick out of the diving headbutt. It does seem like something that like every time he hits it on
0: some of them, I'm like, is this going to finish a match at some point? Because I feel like it used to or at least it maybe should but it doesn't as much as it ought to. I think you're right. Like it, like it makes sense that they should maybe protect it or use it a bit more. Cuz I also like the idea of Benoit having a non-crossface finisher he can draw on cuz it just seems like you know, I I like a submission finisher it's good, but I like having a little bit of, a little bit of something else as well.
1: Well, you know what? I I think generally in WWE, they they seldom let a wrestler have two finishers that no one kicks out of. Yeah, like there's they usually let them have one, and then they'll have another one where you'll con- they'll
0: consistently kick out of it. Yeah, they get out of it up at all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in fairness to Benoit, he doesn't have another finisher like that. He has a crossface, which you can get out of, but not kick out of.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: True. So it's a little different. So Benoit goes for crossface, because he's listening to us, I guess. He's going for his actual finisher here. Then Rhino resists it, and so Benoit just goes for a backslide instead. He kind of changes it up, gets the backslide, and gets the one, two, three. So Benoit advances. He's going to be facing the winner. Of John Cena against Undertaker later tonight. And so, uh, but sportsmanship prevails here because Benoit and Rhino shake hands, they hug after the match, and Rhino raises Benoit's hand. So, just a couple of buddies having a decent little match there. I liked it well enough. I, you know, I I feel like something I'm, I don't want to be a broken record here, but I'm often going to say, I liked it. I wish it, wish it had more time. Because uh, that's what it comes down to with a lot of these things, that it's just like, hey, I liked it, but if it was more substantial, I think I would have liked it more.
1: Well, you yeah. know what? I felt like they were maybe um, preserving. The opportunity to have this match again in the future, especially oh, with the the you know not a extremely conclusive uh, finish either, right? Get um, yeah, the tricky but, win. Yeah, so I I thought the length was was all right, especially if they're going to be doing this again. Yeah,
0: I, I wonder if they do. That's a good question. I hope they would. And so next up here, we have something I think we need to talk a little bit. We need to examine this a little bit here, um, and. This is, a, this is something that feels like it's straight up like I don't know, like basic instincts, some sort of like 90s erotic thriller kind of thing, because I feel like that's the vibe we're going with Sable here. Sable, Sable is backstage, and she knocks on Tori Wilson's locker room door, and then Tori Tori says, like, hey, I, I'm in the shower, and so Sable just walks all the way in, and she starts talking to her while she's showering. And so, um, Sable's talking, we see that Tori's in the shower, we don't see anything obviously, because it's television. Uh, and so, there is a, a towel on the uh, on the rack by the shower, so Sable takes the towel, and then Tori finishes up in the shower, she turns off the water, I guess, and then she goes to grab it, but she notices, oh, okay, t- towel's not there. And so Sable holds up the towel and says, "Come and get it." And so she's like holding it up so we can't see Tori, but we see Tori's face be kind of like, oh, you, I can't believe you did this." And so Tori walks out, seemingly naked, and gives Sable a look as she takes the towel. and it's just like, I don't know, it's a very porny vibe. Uh, you know, I think Sable's character at this point, is she an evil lesbian? I don't even know really what they're going for here, except for titillation. Like, I don't like – character-wise, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to really take from all this.
1: Well, I think you really nailed it, though, with the sort of basic instinct vibe. Yeah. The um, femme fatale and, and the sort of mystery be, behind her motivations, uh, although I guess they do sort of make it clear that um, she's jealous that Tori Wilson – got the playboy centerfold i I suppose that's what what they're aiming for here right um i mean i want to know why Tori didn't lock the door right so matt when you're at home i mean because you've got a you've got a family yeah do you lock the door when you're taking a shower
0: well i if i did i'd run into problems you know people need to get in there need to use the diapers need to be changed things like that there needs to be access to get to the water do that sort of thing um so yeah so in in the family dynamic that i'm in I can't, but I'm also, you know, I'm safe from any evil sable characters coming in, because uh, fundamentally the, the the front door is locked, right? Which is what Tori could have done as well. I mean, Tori has her own lo- locker room here, uh, which is that's m- true. Al- always funny to think about how they like WWE seems to suggest that every you know hockey arena and basketball arena in the world have like tw- like 50 locker rooms with showers and everything. That's an absurd number. Um, but Tori, yeah, Tori could have locked. it. I mean, if I was down a shower, I might lock both. Who knows?
1: You so. Know? a friend of mine actually got into a situation with her roommate and that her roommate was very offended that she locked the door when she was taking a shower and and that this was a sign of mistrust but i mean i think this particular lesson definitely proves that you should always lock the door wait okay let me i need to maybe need not to- you you your you got a family situation <laughs> i understand <laughs> right. the environment but I have a little baby boy. I gotta
0: make sure he's he's taken care of there. Uh, yeah, okay, I need, hold on. I need to ask about this roommate thing. So you're saying that somebody had a roommate, and they're like, you shouldn't you shouldn't lock the door when you shower because you should
1: trust me. Exactly. That was that was it. And I mean that that to me is
0: almost like a reason not to trust them to say that.
1: Yeah, it is it is a little a little suspect. Um, but whatever. Like I had roommates for quite a few years, and and I think I would generally. Um, lock the door unless there was like a situation where i knew someone needed to go in and grab a razor or or whatever right but uh like i thought that that was like pretty normal behavior and not uh very untrustworthy behavior uh tori right. seems to be a very trustworthy person yeah um, i mean it, given tr- how other trusting it, yeah given how other women in the locker room have been treating her i don't think she should be so trusting
0: no, you're absolutely right. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think Don Reitz, it took advantage of various trusting things uh, over the last few months that we saw. So I think that's definitely a good thing. I mean, we've seen Funaki on this show on Mike being like, I'm going to go into the women's locker room and uh, the, he went, he went in there and that was like a whole thing that was done. Um. yeah, anyway, that's so funny. I lo- the Roommate dynamics is always funny. I feel like there should be like a thing you learn in high school. It's just kind of like, look, you're going to have roommates at some point. Just to be clear, that is when you are uh, coming into people's lives and they have different family lives than you do, even people who seem very much like you. And so there's different expectations for all sorts of things. You have to navigate, that to navigate that together. And also you'll sometimes have a roommate who says weird things like that, too. So that's a kind of like social sort of thing. I think we should be teaching people that like, look, you're going to get into situations that are gonna be unusual, but we all we can all figure it out. Like that's
1: gonna work out if you do that. Absolutely, you know yeah. you could you could even present different scenarios. Like, um, you're you know you're late for a class, but you haven't done your dishes. Do you do your dishes? Of course you do your dishes. That's the number one rule: is always do your dishes.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we'd be like, that's absurd. I wouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, man, roommate drama. I wonder if you could eliminate roommate drama. How much like. Money we pump into the economy. Do you know what I mean? Like, how much more we'd avoid tiffs and all that sort of thing. Or maybe it would lead to more I mean, more economic problems because people wouldn't be moving out as much from having roommates' strife. That would be the issue there.
1: That's true. I mean, it probably yeah. does sort of like bolster the, the rental economy by, you know, people just. <laughs> getting sick of their roommates not doing their damn dishes yeah exactly technically it's good for the for the the overall society
0: if there are some a few insane roommates out there in the world so anyway yeah i would say uh yeah be fine with people showering with the with the door locked and with the yeah just be cool with it guys Mm -hmm. um Now, that's it. Maybe maybe it's like one of those weird rental houses where it's like half of a really old house. And, you know, things are kind of like it's a weird it's a weird shower, weird bathroom set up or something like that. Like I've had I had that before where it's like I was in a very old house and there's essentially just like a sliding door toilet. And then if you wanted to wash your hands, you had to leave that room, go around a corner. And there was a full huge bathroom with a clawfoot tub shower and the sink was there. And so I don't think that was locked up very much because you needed to actually get in there. But that was that was the whole thing there we go interesting that's like that was like 100 how old was that
1: house at this point it's probably 130 140 years old um but it's a good one that was that was the one that like uh like the cat the community house right yeah that's right yeah oh, i've i've stayed overnight at that house there we go you maybe you stayed in that exact bathroom uh, and maybe you wouldn't have locked the
0: door or not stayed in the bathroom you do what gone it would, would have definitely locked the door yeah, yeah. probably a good idea um yeah, I like. I still, I still like the sliding door, random little toilet room. You open a door, boom, just a toilet. That is it. That's all there was <laughs> in that room. At least there's no mistaking what you do in there, which is good enough. know. Nope. Mm-hmm. And we see the. We, we go back to the ring after seeing Sable do things. So, and something I want to just hit real quick with the Sable thing, also, is that I'm watching it and I'm also like, okay, if Sable is a man here, this is, you know, I don't know the technical word for it, but it's like a kind of an assault, right, where you're you're forcing someone to uh, be undressed in front of you. Uh, you know, and I was like, well, and I was also thinking about it. Like, I was like, well, if a man did that, that would be a crime. And I was like, well, if same, like, it doesn't really matter if a man does it or not. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a like a man who's attracted to you. Cause it could be a woman who's attracted to you. And you could have, feel the exact same way about it. Um, so wait a
1: minute. Where's yeah. the crime? Because Tori didn't have to leave the shower. Um, she left the shower. She wanted the towel. Sable was holding the towel. Um, Tori could have just chosen not to leave the shower. What's the crime? Interesting.
0: This is interesting. This is interesting, Chris, because you're right. She didn't have to leave the shower. Um, I feel like she was a little bit coerced because she's in a she's you know she's in a situation where she's probably the most vulnerable you can be. You're in a state of undress. You're in a shower, and you have someone in your room. There's a weird not, cameraman there for some reason. Probably a cameraman. It could be a cameraman. Who, who who knows? It is one of those scenes that definitely suggests the cameramen are invisible. Uh, and that we're, like, watching <laughs> a sci-fi movie or something like that. Um, so it's interesting. Now, Chris, I will say, it does feel a little bit of victim-blaming. I'm just going to throw that out there. You're saying, oh, she didn't have to stay. She could have stayed in the shower all day if she wanted to.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I
0: get that. I mean, yeah, we, there's all sorts of debates. I mean, I I, I want to side with Tori here just because it just feels like Sable is a bit of a um, – she's just a bit of a, a cad, if you can say that about a lady. So that's Sable. I think Sable and Tori. I think,
1: I think you only say that about – don't yeah, it's dudes.
0: true. I wonder the female equivalent of a cat is. Who knows? I'm saying cat, C-A-D, just for everybody's uh, – just to be clear, in case they think I'm saying cat. Uh, and then we get to the ring, and we see there's plaid carpet being rolled out for Piper's Pit. Uh, but before Piper's Pit could happen, Vince McMahon's music hits. And i walks Vince. Vince is a very open lapel. Like, it's, 19, it's 1970s here, Vince. He's going forward with this lapel look. Yeah, I didn't like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. That is one of those looks where I'm like, do I – do I wish I could go back and do that? Maybe not that exact specific look. I do like the idea of a, a lack of tie. I enjoy that. I'm, I'm kind of personally not overly fond of tie, so I appreciate that. But the overly open
1: lapel is not, not doing it for me. Like extended sort of beyond the jacket. Yeah, yes. That's it, that's where it becomes an issue. Press across the jacket there. Michael Cole, say, he, Michael Cole
0: says something here, and his tone of voice is so put on. He says – and this is a direct quote, so I'm going to hit you with this direct, this direct quote as I can get here. He says, he, Michael Cole says, I'm all set for Piper's Pit. What's Mr. McMahon doing here? It's like, <laughs> all right. Like, he's going into a commercial break, and so he's doing, like, kind of a broadcaster voice. But just the idea that he's, like, it's such an unnatural thing an a natural way to be, like, I'm excited about Piper's Pit, and I don't know what this guy's doing here. It's like, all right. So we take a break after Michael Cole says his little point there. And we see another video. We I look at the history of Piper's Pit. Uh, very useful timing here because this will this will come up again later, and uh, it's a time with Jimmy Snuka when Piper hit him with a coconut. And I'm realizing watching this clip, this it's very racially charged because he's offering Jimmy Snuka, who's you know Pacific Islander uh, of ancestry there, he's offering him coconuts, bananas, pineapples. He's like, what do you want, kind of thing. He's being a real jerk about it. And I'd feel worse if Jimmy Snooker wasn't probably a murderer, um, which is isn't great. Chris, did you know that Jimmy uh, Jimmy Snuka is probably a murderer?
1: Yes, I saw that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, and, um, I mean, now it seems like he's been, um, they don't mention him anymore. I think even when they're referring to Tamina, they're very delicate about not actually mentioning uh, Jimmy Stuka's name. Right. So I was kind of surprised here, but I guess there really wasn't uh, a lot of awareness at that time that, uh. Jimmy Snuka was probably a murderer. I'm really interested to find out when
0: that got more traction. I guess it's like 2003 is like, it's not like early internet per se in some ways, but I mean, the internet as a fully fledged repository for everything with full of like things like video and, and photos and um, lots of news stories going back to certain eras, like that only happened
1: kind of the last like 15 years more so. So I could well, see was that it might he, be the case. Wasn't he actually charged? Um, like yes, he got charged much after this. Much after this? Like when he was very, very old.
0: 2015 kind of thing, I think. Yeah. And so he was – and there was kind of a sense of pleading, if I'm not mistaken, kind of like, oh, he's not – he's kind of not mentally with it. And so he never – That's right. I, I, think you, I think if I'm not mistaken, and I do want to – for people who don't know, if you haven't seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode, definitely check it out because I believe I've, I've seen that too, Chris. Uh, if you haven't, you can also Google Jimmy and Nancy Argentino if you don't know, if you haven't heard that before. So it's you know, interesting in the sense that it's, it's you know, pretty sad. Uh, what happened obviously but uh, i believe he had his charges dismissed uh for i don't know his lack of evidence i think it's i think the sense was just he's not fit to stand trial uh because he just wasn't and i think there's there's some kind of some question about whether or not um he was all there like like like, like mm-hmm. whether or not he actually was not all there or if he was kind of putting it on to be like oh, i'd love to not go to prison for the last two days two years of my life mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah t- is Tamina me with like his daughter or is it a different relation no, that's his daughter. Daughter. OK, there you go. Uh, I also say that for the people listening who don't know who me Snook is. But there you go. So she's somebody who you know, active wrestler WWE uh, unless she gets uh, unless she gets released by the time this podcast comes out, which seems to be. I, now I'm afraid of mentioning any current wrestler on the roster because they'll get
1: released before I can say anything about it. It's um, a dangerous time. But I mean, yes. currently she's <laughs> um, at the time of this taping. She's the uh, women's tag team champion and she's the only one of the two. Uh, her and Natalia who wasn't injured, so I think she's safe for the moment. Yes, we will see. Someday
0: they're going to release the WWE champion as his WWE champion. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's right? Yeah. So we come in. We come back from vacation. Or vacation. It's kind of vacation. It's commercial. And so Vince McMahon is on the mic, and he's standing in front of a couple. Uh, you know, I would say Hollywood director style chairs, kind of like the. Uh, uh, you know, th- that style there, kind of high and uh, a little bit of fabric there, and so. Vince McMahon once again invokes Hulkamania as having leprosy, is what he's done to it. And he reminds us he's going to pay Hulk Hogan's contract to make him stay at home. And he said he put Hogan on the shelf, and while he was on the shelf, he grabs something else off the shelf, Piper's Pit. And he announces Roddy Roddy Piper. So Vince also going to the shelf, just like me. Uh, And so (laughs) we get this little plaid coat of arms style logo for Piper's Pit, which sweeps in and replaces the WWE logo, which I don't – Remember them doing a lot, but essentially the WWE logo is no longer on your screen. It's just little Piper's Pit logo to give you a little bit of, um, I don't know, to make it seem more legit. I don't know if they did that back in the day or what. Um, and so Piper comes out. Uh, I think Taz says something about Ireland, and they're like, he's Scottish, uh, is what Michael Cole says. But uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, for the record, is from uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, everyone, just so you know. So uh, in case you couldn't tell by the lack of Scottish accent and the fact he talks like a guy from the
1: prairies, uh, he is not from Scotland. Well, I mean, there'll be a few more of these situations in this episode of, of Canadians who are mislabeled as being from other places. There we go. So so Vince McMahon introduces himself
0: because he's there and he says, I'm a Piper's guest. And uh, Piper is, you know, he he's, he starts off hot here. He says, you know, Vince, you got short fingers kind of say, well, you know what that means sort of thing. And he says he he created Piper's Pit, not Vince. And I was like, man, do we have to have another feud where it's based on someone from the 80s saying you made something of mine? Like, we just did this with Hogan. Like, why are we doing this exact same thing again? And so Vince – this is a hilarious thing. Vince points out that Piper has a belly, and he says he hasn't seen a belly like this since Mae Young was nine months pregnant, and she had a hand, and he looks like he has twins. So Vince McMahon (laughs) is openly talking about something that happened only four years ago uh, in 2003, just to be clear. Which would be the equivalent now? Of talking about something that happened in 2017, but he's talking about it like it was 15 years ago. Totally weird. Have you? Are you familiar with this May Young thing? By the way, Chris, is this something you've heard of in the WWE? Oh, And, of more? and okay. I
1: was watching wrestling at the time when the May Young situation happened, and uh, it was something. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I, I think I liked it because May Young was great. Moolah was great. In that role, they were fantastic. Um, they should never, ever do anything like that again.
0: I also like the idea, like Vince talking about it, like it wasn't his idea. I mean, it sure, it wasn't necessarily his idea per se, but it's like you were – you you put together the show that had that as a focal point, buddy.
1: Uh, but I guess you can do that. Uh, I mean, it's and- interesting that he's talking about it. Like if he's talking about it, he's presumably proud that they had a storyline where Mae Young was pregnant with a, a hand. I don't think they ever really explained why she gave birth to a hand. Yeah, I
0: think I've seen some different uh, possibilities online, people explaining it. Uh, I mean, on some level, if you want to be proud of being like, uh, uh, just like this is a very eccentric art person who's just kind of like, ah, it's so stupid, this weird goofy thing I did. It's like, all right, I mean, that's that's one angle you can take on it.
1: Like, that's, sure, why not? Why not, Vince? Uh, I- Vince also, Yeah. I, I guess. I mean, there is like it does kind of have sort a of like a David Lynch kind of like absurdist feel to it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, like a John Waters thing, maybe even. Uh,
0: and so but Vince also, he says here he's just ribbing Piper, which is such a wrestling term. And he's just using it during the uh, during this this segment. It's kind of a funny thing. And so Piper says you know, he, he starts by saying, you know, Vince, you were a rock and roll promoter first. And that went belly up. And I was like, I don't know. Is that true? I know rock and wrestling is a thing that people talk about, but I don't know if Vince is like a guy who is like, hey, I'll run rock and roll shows. I think I heard that. Yeah, Yeah, I think this is all true. Now, he also invokes the World Bodybuilding Federation and the XFL, and Vince looks legitimately amused by that. XFL, I mean, this is like – that's like two years old at this point, that little wound. And uh, Vince, you know, he ends the ill will by pointing out that they both hate Hulk Hogan. And so we get to hear (laughs) Brody Piper say, Hogan? Which is how he says it, which I don't know if it's a natural way he says it or he's putting a voice on. But he talks about Hogan a lot. And he yells – he you know, he says, you know, Vince, you used to cut my interview time when I would call Hulk Hogan balls. Like you were – like I, I hated him back then, and yet you protected him. And uh, Vince puts his arm around Piper, and Piper doesn't like that. And he says, you know what? I hate Vince too. I hate you too. And it's like, all right. I don't really know where this is going. And they eventually they shake hands over hating Hulk Hogan and Vince leaves, but Piper makes a point to say that Vince lost a Hulk Hogan in Wrestlemania, which is something Piper never did, to lose a Hulk Hogan like that. And that leaves Vince with a very sour look on his face. And then, of course, I mean, Chris, we all predicted predict this was going to happen, which was as, soon as Vince leaves, Rikishi's music hits. And I was like, alright. And now walks the big man himself, Rikishi, and he's carrying a coconut, a pe- and seemingly wanting revenge for a snooker's dishonoring from back in 1986. So this is you know, If I'm not mistaken uh, – I don't even I – don't forget to do the math for this. this is this 17 years in the making, this little moment here? Is that what I'm to understand maybe? Yeah, yeah. He he wants to get the revenge here. So uh, Rikishi gets in the ring. He does the snooka kind of like hand gesture there, which is kind of like the sign language for I love you sort of thing. And uh, he gets on the mic, and he asks Roddy Piper if the coconut looks familiar. And Piper says it doesn't. i was like, okay. Also, when I ask him what coconut, folks familiar, you should be like, do you know what this is? It's a coconut. Uh, instead of being like, does this specific coconut look like? A f-, you know, like, are you familiar with this coconut here that I'm holding yeah. my hand? It's like, no.
1: Uh, he's no it's, a, not it's a different it. variety. I'm, I'm only familiar no, with yeah, no. The, uh, the, the the Polynesian blend.
0: I was gonna say Polynesian too. That was my go-to coconut word. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, Polynesian. Uh, and so Rikishi threatens to hit Piper with it because Stuka's family. But Rikishi, Rikishi like tosses it in the air. It's kind of like, I don't want to talk about it. And when he does that, uh, Roddy Piper grabs it. And so Rikishi is confused. Then suddenly, Sean O'Hare is here. He's in wrestling gear. He clotheslines Rikishi from behind. He gets twisted inside out. And he hits him with one of the wooden interview chairs. And he holds Rikishi up so Piper can hit him with a coconut. And so there's another coconut smack on Piper's pit. And so Roddy Piper raises Sean O'Hare's arm as they leave together. And, um, so yeah, so is this feud between Piper, Hogan, Vince, Rikishi, Jimmy Snuka, and Sean O'Hare now? Like what? Like what is this whole thing? Like what? Like, what am I to take from this? What did you think of this, Chris?
1: I mean, I thought the whole segment was brilliant. I thought the back and forth between McMahon and Piper was clever, was well written, was well delivered, and uh, and then there. Using this, I guess, to introduce another feud, which I imagine Roddy Piper won't be at the center of. But uh, the whole thing accomplished a lot. It was great. Interesting. I, I
0: I, don't know where it's going. That's the thing where it's like if there's something to the Hogan, Piper, Vince thing. I mean, even, even just saying that, it's like, man, that is an old ass feud. That is some old dudes uh, at the center of that. And like I could forgive like Hogan, Vince at WrestleMania because like, all right, sure, I'm, I'll see that. That's fine. Um, but on some level, it's also kind of weird that Piper's paired with Sean O'Hare because Sean O'Hare had such like a very distinct character and he can clearly talk. So it's kind of strange to put him with a guy who's like this motor mouth. I mean, presumably, I mean, Ronnie Piper could be very useful as a mouthpiece for somebody in theory. I mean, Ronnie Piper can be kind of insane on the mic, too. But uh, so, yeah, it's a bit
1: strange to me that Sean O'Hare is kind of connected here this specific way. And you know what? The coconut bit, I thought that was also a great way of invoking uh, some of the you know, historic moments of Piper's Pit for a new younger generation who might have never learned about it before.
0: Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, some of that features pretty heavily in, uh, in those, like, all those retrospective videos. But one of those things where you're just, you, if you don't know the context of it, you're kind of like, so what happened there? Oh, always hit him with a coconut in Piper's Pit. You're like, all right, sure. It's like, no, that mean that mattered to people. So, yeah, that's true, too. And so now we see a video for Les Nouvelles Mondiales, which is the world <gasps> update.
1: This was my favorite. Favorite thing in the entire episode. I you like, you, loved this so much. Yes, you like, so we have
0: we have two men here, and they're quite French: Sylvain Granier and Rene Dupree. They tell us they're coming to wrestle, and they're quite French. And uh, Chris, this must be what you were referring to earlier when you talk about uh, Canadians misrepresented here. Yes, um, these
1: are two very well-known Canadians, and and yet we're on a uh, French news show called Les yeah. Nouvelles Mondiales. Um, seems a little bit more like a commentary show. than was here. And, yes, uh, two men who um, I, I think are, are somewhat well-known as, as being Canadian. Right. Um, but big French flags in the background. No, these guys are from France.
0: Oh, Something I'm also going to point out, because I have to do this every time. Uh, Rene Dupree... Uh, From Moncton, New Brunswick, which is also funny to me because Moncton is not the most foreign place in the world to someone from Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, Rene Dupree here is 19. Oh, is he that young? He was born in December 1983. And so he is 19 years old here. He'll be 20 at the end of the year. But like Rene Dupree is currently 37, which is wild to think about. This is a show from 18 years ago. And Rene Dupree could very easily still wrestle now because he's not that old at all.
1: Oh, does
0: he?
1: He might still actually wrestle then. But I mean, I mean like Sylvain Grenier only retired a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, I think actually I think I think René Dupree is wrestling in uh, pro wrestling Noah apparently mm. judging from the internet here if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um and so yeah, he's he's still out there. Um yeah, interesting thing. I mean, he's just not that old. Just wild to think about it. Just wild to think about it. Um now interesting enough uh, in 2003 uh, La Stance, this team this becomes, would go on to win worst tag team for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. So uh, we've got some we've got some gold to get to here with these with these folks. But uh, yeah, René Dupree, 19. And it's like, I guess I thought he was ready for it. Who knows? So next up, another team that wears red, white, and blue, Team Angle. It's Wait a, to- a Nigeria, minute. Hold
1: up. What? We are what? not what? done talking oh, about this I'm sorry. segment. Let's,
0: let's talk about this segment more, Chris. I'm sorry.
1: No, I... You loved Again. it. You're this was my favorite part of the show, and you're just like speeding through it. Um, well, what's special about it? What you like about it? They're not obviously from I mean, France. I mean, first of all, the the whole idea behind it that you know we need these terrible French heels. The whole subtext of it was France being in opposition to the war in Iraq. Right. So,
0: yes. This is this is peak freedom fries and um, you know freedom toast.
1: Very exactly point. exactly yeah. so um because they opposed uh war uh they opposed war um then you know you know we're gonna make these guys you know enemies number one um uh, i also thought it was really funny when i think it was grenier yeah. who said you know he's addressing americans this whole thing he's just talking to america um telling them that you have a history of Dominating cultures and nations that don't buy into your propaganda. I mean, I do believe that France has a pretty significant colonial past as well. They were good point. They they did their own fair share of colonizing. And uh, another thing that I found hilarious is their catchphrase at the end. And I, and I, I'm truly curious to see how long they keep going with this is n'est pas peur, uh, don't be afraid, which is, you know, for a wrestling catchphrase, I think you, you kind of do want the other guy to be afraid, don't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're going for kind of like an assimilation angle sort of thing, like the thing that will kind of rile up the Americans more is being like, yeah, well, you'll just come become French. We'll show up on your wrestling show and we'll be French, and you'll love it. And you'll just be like, us. don't be afraid to become more like us." And be like, "No, I'll never do that." <laughs> so I think that's kind of like that's the thing of like they they can instead of being like America is stupid, they can just be kind of like become French and use the <laughs> uh, the cultural experience at the time
1: to do that. Well, I mean, they mentioned that you know they come from a far superior culture, and I think they are trying to maybe um evangelize the uh, american masses i mean we'll see if we'll see if they succeed I, I think that they um have a tough task ahead of them that's a good point all right should we move on is that okay yeah we can now okay sounds good
0: <laughs> team angle goes up against tajiri and ray mysterio now the thing i'm sorry one thing i will say here I'm pretty sure love racing stealth is not show up on smackdown so i think videos like this are gonna be our only chance to actually see them because uh, they will be on uh, on Raw, although they may show up on some pay-per-views, so maybe we'll have a chance to kind of at least speed through kind
1: of where they are in their uh, their gimmick then. So there we go. I really hope so. I mean, Tori and Don Marie was kind of my thing until now, and now right. this is this I feel like is going to quickly become my thing.
0: Oh, I love that. Here's the good wagon. To hit yourself too. I think I dig that. That's perfect. And so uh, so Team Angle comes down, and usually they have their blue velour track suits there, which they actually uh, Chris. I will just say now. I know you are currently uh you know heavily involved in a, in a tennis league. I think you guys could probably benefit a lot from getting
1: some blue velour tracksuits, maybe like Team Demetranko on them. Uh yeah. I mean it's maybe time to to bring back the velour. I think I think I think it's a win.
0: So here's what I want you. to Yeah, so think about it, buy them and then send me a picture of you wearing them. I just think it'd be a good idea. <laughs> I want to see that come to fruition.
1: I think uh, that makes okay. sense. Okay. It yeah. might.
0: It might. Perfect. I love it. Uh they're also, Team Angle's also wearing gray Team Angle t-shirts, and they kind of make a thing of it there. And we're like, look, we have these, which I think my brother might have owned one of them, which I hope so. And so they get on the mic. So we get to see we get to hear from Team Angle a little bit there. And I think we have I think there's a little something to these guys, which I kind of dig. Uh, so Charlie Haas gets on the mic first and he dedicates his match to Kurt Angle. And he asks, Nay, he demands the crowd bow their heads in silent prayer.
1: A <laughs> moment of prayer. I yeah. loved it.
0: Hilarious. The crowd doesn't like it, so they make some noise. And so Shelton Benjamin gets on the mic. And he says, look, you don't know what really real, – real, sorry, you don't look, know what real winners look like because the Chicago Hubs have been bad for so long, which is true at the time. Uh, and so, yeah, there we go. Team Angle getting in there. I like that there. And uh, so Chijiri comes out, and then his partner is being played as something, something of a mystery here. And so Rey Mysterio comes out and gets a pretty big reaction. And uh, Tajiri and Charlie Haas start. Tajiri gets some kicks in on Charlie and then um, tags in Ray. He gets a tarantula dropkick combination on Charlie Haas, which is smart. So Tajiri has Charlie in the tarantula. You are super exposed when you're in the tarantula because you're mixed up in the ropes there. And your, your legs and arms are both uh, kind of hell behind you. And so, yeah, Ray comes in and does a dropkick, which is great. They get to do that all the time. Yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, super smart. Then Ray flings and flips around Shelton Benjamin for a bit before he ends up outside. Uh, he gets popped up onto the apron by Charlie Haas, and Shelton hits a super hick on him after he gets popped up there, which is kind of an interesting thing. And then uh, Team Angle do a fun—they uh, do a double-team military press, so one guy gets uh, him over the head and then throws him gut-first onto the guy's uh, other guy's knee, which is, I kind of dig that as well. It's kind of fun. And, uh, you know, Tajiri and Ray Mysterio are a good team you can just pick up and throw around. And Tajiri gets a hot tag. He runs wild, but then he gets thrown outside. And then Team Angle sets up for a double-team powerbomb where they're going to do, I think, a powerbomb kind of clothesline combination there, which I don't know if we've seen them do, but I think they do that at some point. They're obviously setting up for it here. But then Jajiri kicks shot Benjamin down, but Charlie Haas still powerbombs Ray, but then Ray still gets a 619, and he drops the leg on the back of Charlie Haas's head, and that gets the 1-2-3. And it was an untitled match, with the Tag Team Champions lose yet again.
1: And I don't think that's great. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Well, I mean, they certainly haven't been booking them particularly strong, but yeah. they have held the belts for a little while now. And uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind it. Give to and Ray some credibility. It could be a fun little feud if this match is any indication.
0: I would be okay with it if it goes to some sort of pay per view thing. I do like to Jerry and Ray as a team. I think there's some interesting stuff there. Uh, I will say, I mean, one of the reasons that they have the, that they've had the tag titles for so long is they keep having non-title matches. They keep losing. <laughs> You know, they keep having all these, like, these things. I just – I want Team Angle – I think part of what bothers me about it is that Team Angle is so – they have such wrestling prowess, and that's something that the show is all built on. And, uh, you know, I think kind of, like, a few months ago on the podcast, you know, back in the fall, you could have heels who still win matches because they're good, Um, not just, like – their heels, they only win matches because they cheat and they're bad, or they lose, like these guys do. Um, So, yeah, I want to see them get, like, a decent win.
1: But the the issue is, and the reason why – they are booked to lose, which yeah. is the same reason why in, in 2020 um, the hurt business. So Shelton Benjamin, again, um, contemporary um, him and Cedric Alexander, they they were tag team champions, but they never looked particularly strong. And that's because right. they were Bobby Lashley's, Lashley's henchmen. And the henchmen are are always going to be in a role where they're supposed to lose matches to, right. to build up the feud of the guy that they're protecting. So I, I think that's the big problem. Um, but I presume they probably stay under sort of Kurt Angle's, uh, brand for a while. Yes, they do. And it, it's interesting to think about like,
0: let's see how they, how they be, how they stay as henchmen, even when the guy that they are henching for is not around. So that'd be interesting. Be interesting mm-hmm. to watch. Another storyline to look for on this Matthew 6 podcast, everybody. And let we go backstage. Undertaker is in the interview area with Josh Matthews. And uh, he was mad when John Cena disrespected him last week. And so Undertaker's going to beat him up. He's going to bust him up. He's going to shut him up. And so and Undertaker seemed legitimately mad here, which I liked. It, it seemed like there's a good edge to Taker here. He's not excited about this John Cena guy. And so next up here, we have, I mean, just a, a match that, uh, you know, made events anywhere in the country. Nathan Jones against Bill DeMott. Uh, this is Nathan Jones' first time to actually be in the ring and, and be a wrestler here. Uh, now I will say his uh, Nathan Jones theme song is kind of cool. It's got this fun, basic kind of beat. It was like a little bit more fun than I expected for him to have, so it was good. Um, I'm not really sure why they have Nathan Jones going up against a big guy like Bill DeMoss. Like it just feels like if you could do like a smaller heel kind of guy, maybe or something like, I don't know, I, or you just toss him around, but he doesn't really do that either. I don't know, not great. But uh, we start off with some sponsors. First off, sponsors for the night include uh, SmackDown Shut Your Mouth with PlayStation 2, Subway, Eat Fresh, and Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell on the PS2. I've never actually played a Tom Clancy game. I don't mind the movies that he, uh, uh, well, I guess the books he writes that makes it turn into movies, but Splinter Cell, I remember that being something rather, rather popular. There. Rainbow Six, also very popular, Tom Clancy offering there. And so this match, there's not a lot to it here. They lock up a couple times. DeMoc gets tossed out of the ring. He hangs up Nathan Jones. They charges at him. And Jones hits him with a big boot for the one, two, three. And I was like, just a big boot. eh? We can't get this guy a cooler finisher than that. Like if only they could go back in time and give him like a uh, Alistair Black style, black mass or something like another roundhouse kick. That could have been cool.
1: Uh, It wasn't even a great boot. Like the whole thing. So this being Nathan Jones first match kind of redeemed it in that I was at least a bit curious to see how good he was. Right. But ultimately, there was nothing impressive about him at all. It uh, and I guess the one redeeming quality was that it was a pretty short, like almost a squash match.
0: Yeah. If you're going to give him the big boot, you need to be testing. It needs to be a running big boot, I think you need to give him something a bit more uh, active rather than just kind of like, here's my foot. And you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, if, especially if you're like a martial arts guy, like you should be spinning give him a spinning kick and say, please, like probably he would just kill him if he did it. Like he just doesn't have like the control to do a cool thing to have a guy almost run into it.
1: And it wasn't even like uh, he was able to to keep his foot fully in the air at the height of a dude. It was like Bill DeMott kind of had to like almost like sort of fall into it. So really not not an impressive debut for this Nathan Jones, who, you know, has been like weirdly promoted as the undertaker's protege. Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine, or at least I
0: do right now, like watching this match on the monitor backstage, like I'm watching somebody looking at Vince and being like, you still think this guy's got it? Like, is this, is this still the guy? Like you, you know, you've given him a big, a big role here. He's got, you know, a gimmick people would die for the, the undertaker's under, his, you know, my, my wingman. Um, my mentor. So it's like, if yeah, I mean, I, they're probably I, I assume that they're going to kind of pedal, you know, pedal back here.
1: And don't you reasons. also take into consideration the background of the individual? So they they did kind of lie and they said that he was in prison for 10 years. He actually right. served for five years. OK. Uh, and this was although it wasn't a uh, maximum security prison and uh, he had been sentenced to 16. But, yeah, it went down to five. There was eight armed robberies between 80, 1985 and 1987, um, I mean, don't you kind of take that into consideration when you're you're hiring someone? Or, I mean, I'm sure, I, I mean, I, I guess there's the benefit of the backstory, probably very few professions where, you know, someone could hear about your armed robberies and, and maybe consider it a, 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 you know, an asset. Right. It, it's also funny because, like, he seems like all the promos leading up
0: to him being on the show itself suggested he would be a bad guy. They're going for, like, here's this psychotic guy. And they even had a sit down interview with Michael Cole um, before he actually confronted The Undertaker. He said, I have unfinished business with The Undertaker. And then the next week he saves him. And then he's, like, helping him train. It's just such a weird thing to have this thing where you spend so much time and energy being like, look, he's crazy. He's in prison. And then be like, actually, he's He's just, like, he, he's a reformed guy. People are treating him poorly because he's a felon. Um, yeah, I mean, he's about to get mistreated here majorly, which is too bad backstage here. it he gets, gets railroaded, uh, and that's because backstage you see the FBI, the full-blooded Italians, and two guys come in to talk to them. And you're like, okay. And I guess they're supposed to be cops, but they're wearing, like, black polo shirts. There's, like, nothing copy about them. Like, nothing. And so uh, Nunzio says— well, Yeah, you know, that
1: was that was really poor. I mean, come on, costume
0: department. Yeah, do something, or just get at least have one guy be wearing at least a cop uniform or security right. or something. Like these guys just seem like, at first I was like, oh, are these like their sec- like their their personal security? Like they're just a couple Italian guys, maybe I don't know.
1: Yeah, it, um, wasn't, it wasn't entirely clear to me that these were actually police officers initially. For that reason, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really yeah, it's funny. And It's like the easiest thing
0: in the world to make it look like it that way. Mm-hmm. And so they said, yeah, we went out to eat and they each had a different kind of parm, a chicken parm, you know, like eggplant parm stuff like that. And then, but some someone stole twelve hundred dollars from Nunzio's bag. And Chuck and Johnny both lie. They're like, oh, I lost a belt buckle on a laptop too. You're like, sure. But they're like, yeah, anyway, but with twelve hundred dollars and we have a pretty good idea who took it. And it's so funny because they do that. I'm like, huh, I wonder what they're gonna say, even though it's I probably should have known who it was. And then we take a commercial break, we come back, and the two guys there are now hassling Nathan Jones. They say we want to take him downtown, and arrest him. And it's like, you guys don't need to see my cops, so it's weird to do that. Undertaker shows up. He's angry. They're harassing him because he's in prison. They take Nathan Jones away. So Undertaker here, he's, you know, being an advocate for those who are in prison. He's being pretty, uh, pretty caring here. Not exactly what I would expect from a Texas roughneck already.
1: It's It's a it's a weird sort of kind of woke moment mm-hmm. for SmackDown. And there there aren't very many of those where, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're now talking about reforming the prison prison system and, uh, um, you know, trying to effectively rehabilitate uh, former convicts and and you know, give them a second chance. Uh, yeah, kind, kind of woke WWE 2003.
0: Yeah. And to put it to put it into Undertaker too is a specific, an especially funny thing. You know, this guy who's just like, ah, oh, he's from Texas. It's like, but he believes that capitalism is the real crime. In some ways, that's what it all comes down to who's there. So, so there we go. So Nathan Jones is taken away. and poor Undertaker is going to have to uh, wrestle in this next match here, without knowing that his, you know, who knows what's going to happen to this poor kid, this Nathan Jones here in in, in the streets of Chicago. Now uh, we see John Cena is walking down the hallway. Uh, I describe him as being intense and bopping. Uh, but I will say accurate. he's he's wearing Montreal
1: Expos retro gear, which I do have to respect. Yeah. So what what was the deal with that? Was there a, like a particular reason why he was repping the Expos? Yeah, I wonder if there was like
0: if they had some sort of uh, if they were going up against Chicago in baseball anytime soon there for the Cubs, or the White Sox. I don't know. I know. That, so I think the Expos are almost out of the out of Montreal in 2003. I think 2004 is maybe the last season there. I could be wrong. It's not a baseball podcast, so don't
1: hold me to that, folks.
0: But well, the Expos uh, were yeah. really
1: good before yeah uh, before they left. So I mean, I, I guess. If you're not from Montreal and the expos are killing it, then I suppose by default, you know, that's a heel move. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. You're kind of like a bandwagon, any kind of guy. Uh,
0: and so, yeah, next up, we were in the our main event here. John Cena against the Undertaker at the number one contenders tournament semifinal. John Cena cuts his music and starts rapping. He starts by insulting the Undertaker here. He says he's repossessing the yard, for example. Then he transitions, he starts hating on Chicago. And, uh, you know, Cena's pretty good at this heelish rapping. But then his ending, Chris, I I, don't, I, I took I don't know. If, I didn't like this ending that much. Ooh, Yes. Mm, I. Mm-hmm. He ends with saying, so you're a dead man. I'm a necrophiliac. And ending a rap by saying you have sex with dead bodies is a real choice. Yeah. And I don't think it does what I think you want it to do.
1: Yeah, I was wondering. He knows what that means, right? Uh, you know, that he's sexually attracted to dead people um the the dead person in question is the undertaker um I, I suppose he's counting on us not thinking about this line too much
0: yeah i mean it's supposed to be some sort of dominance line sort of thing which is i just love the idea of some guy being like i'm a necrophiliac deal with it i mean like <laughs> what the hell man like don't talk about that that's that's like a that's like a, a thing you say is a joke to be, like a that's a, like a, you know, a dirty joke where you include that as like a horrible punchline. Like, that's what that is. Uh, what are these things? But horrible punchlines. Anyway, so there we go. John Cena coming in strong here to start his match. Uh, and they they point out, of course, that uh, the winner faces Chris Benoit and the winner of that match will face Brock Lesnar at Backlash. So next week you get Benoit and then I think you get a couple weeks before Backlash happens there. So the match starts and Taker starts off. He's beating on Cena. And Michael Cole points out, you know, Undertaker's elbow is injured. We're even told he's going to get surgery on it later on. And, uh, you know, I will say, Michael Cole, he earns his pay here because he points out that John Cena debuted in this arena back in June 2002. And they even showed uh, Undertaker shaking uh, John Cena's hand after that match. So they had a whole match against uh, Kurt Angle. He lasted five minutes, but Kurt Angle beat him. And then they showed Undertaker shake his hand backstage. So he got a little bit of respect from the dead man at the time. And so, the, the, you know, Undertaker's pretty much just beating on Cena for a while, and then he gets a big choke slam on John Cena, and he covers him, but Cena gets his foot on the rope at two, which I think is pretty significant, because it's like, you know, he gets his big choke slam. it seems like things are pretty well in hand, um, and it's always funny, this is one of those things where Taker's like, man, kicked out a ch- chokeslam, that's crazy. It's like, I mean, at this point, I would pick him up and uh, just do it in the middle of the ring, He just got choke slam, it's not like he's gonna resist it that much, right, like... <laughs> It's one of the things interesting. When people are like, "Oh man, he kicked out of the finisher." I was like, "Just do it again. Just truly, just do it again."
1: Yeah, rarely, rarely do they think of doing that.
0: Yeah, I think I want to see more of that. I want to see he'll just be like, "Fine, I'll just do it again," and like, "Boom, there we go." Now he's dead. I, rock essentially did that at uh, WrestleMania 19, which is good. Like he, he Rock bottom Austin, he kicked out, Rock bottom again, kicked out, and he just did it a third time. There we go. Um, it's good move. Yeah, so they take a commercial break. When we come back. John Cena is on the apron. And big, uh, Taker is on the uh, outside, standing on the apron there. He hits a big leg drop on him outside the ring. That's kind of what he usually does there. And uh, Taker hits Cena in the corner. And then Cena managed to get his hands on his chain. So his chain is around there. He's got the chain with a lock on it there. He wears around his neck, his big, thick chain. And he hits Taker with it. And the ref's not seeing it there. Uh, and then uh, Taker falls out of the ring. So he's got the chain. He hits him with it. Taker is now, you know, compromised to an extent. Mm-hmm. And so Cena uh, goes outside after Undertaker, and he he, uh, he hits his arm on the outside. Actually, sorry, no, because Taker tries to get in the ring. And so uh, Cena grabs his arm and, like, knocks it. And then uh, Cena takes him outside. He hits his arm on the barricade. And then there's a detail here I liked, which is that Cena then runs back into the ring. And he urges referee Mike Chioda to count. And so essentially John Cena is, is saying, like, you know, I'm happy to get a count of victory here. This is my way to win this. And I just like the idea of a guy... Strategizing you to count out victory, because like John Cena does not need to win by pinfall to go on to the next round of the tournament. He just needs to win this match, period. And I like that as a strategy.
1: Would you go for a count out victory? Do you think?
0: Uh, if it earned me, uh, if it punched my ticket to face Chris Benwell the next week, I think I would. I would take anyway. It I would together. too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like because on some level you're you're just smart. Um, it's just a good way to go. And so Taker, he you know he recovers enough, uh, to get the rope walk in. Uh, and then he goes for a last ride on John Cena, but Cena grabs Undertaker's arm, and he has this kind of armbar drop for two, kind of like a downward spiral, kind of not unlike what Nunzio does off the ropes as well. And uh, Taker manages to get Snake Eyes in a big boot on Cena, but then his elbow hurts. And then Taker charged at John Cena in the corner, but Cena pulls the ref into the way, and the referee gets smacked by Undertaker, and he's out. And so Cena and Taker are still going, but they, there was no ref. We have a ref bump here in made main event of SmackDown. And so John Cena gets a spine buster on Undertaker. He goes for uh, what will later be called the Attitude Adjustment. They just call it a Death Valley Driver here, even though it will be later be called the FU. Uh, but Taker gets out of it, and he hits a last ride on Cena. And something I liked is when Cena is elevated in the air, his, he does his little, like, his arms are in, like, a little, like, whoa, whoa, which is <laughs> a nice detail.
1: Yeah, a little comedic.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good. And there's no referee, of course. Uh, so instead of uh, pinfall, we have the FBI running out. And so first there's Chuck Palumbo. He gets hit. And then Johnny, the bull Stamboli, he also gets hit. And then Nunzio. And Taker dispatches them all. He gets you know, Chuck, then Johnny, and then Nunzio. And then after Nunzio gets taken down, Chuck Palumbo comes back in. And he's got a chair, and he just smacks Undertaker in the head with a chair. And the FBI beats on him a little bit more after that. And then Nunzio grabs the chair once again. And hits another chair shot on Undertaker. And the FBI make themselves scarce. And so Taker's down. John Cena's down. The ref is starting to get in the ring. So John Cena crawls towards the Undertaker and he gets an arm on top of him and he gets the one. He gets the two. He gets the three. John Cena gets a pinfall victory over the Undertaker with a big assist from the FBI, a chair and a ref bump. And, uh, Cena rolls out of the ring. He stumbles up the ramp. We see the tournament bracket. We see he's going to face Benoit next week. And I think he even does his little like uh, finger hand symbol there. And uh, Cole bids us night from Chicago as Cena sits on the ramp, victorious, and ready to go up against Benoit next week for the number one contendership against Brock Lesnar at Backlash. So There we go. And you know what? Undertaker here actually won't wrestle again uh, for a couple months. So I think he actually might get surgery here because he's not around for uh, – I think he's back – this is April. I think he's back in June maybe or um, – I think I looked. It was like nine weeks apart. So I think this is the what is this, episode 191 of SmackDown. So it won't be again until like one uh, like uh, like 200 or something like that or just before 200.
1: Anyway, they were really talking nonstop about that upcoming elbow surgery that he was going to have. So yeah. clearly they wanted to uh, make it known that you know, he's going to be out for a while. Yeah. And so he, he was exactly that. And so there
0: we go. What did you think of that main event before we talk about the, um, the show as a whole?
1: Well, I did like the main event. I thought that the ref bump was uh, brought in a, an element of intrigue because, you know, you knew hijinks would ensue. Right. I do kind of feel like FBI are are rather low on the totem pole and oh, man, for yeah. them to be coming in and uh, deciding the outcome. I feel like they are not important enough to have been in this match. Mind you, I'm coming in from the perspective of the Summer of Cena, his right. return in 2011 and he is the biggest deal uh, 2011 2021. Right. Um so I guess perhaps this this match at the time wasn't the massive main event that we view it as now. Right. But still, um clearly this is a important win. For Cena's career,
0: yeah, it's it's big time, and it's funny. Like the FBI have been such losers for the last like, you know, they, they've never really looked good. Uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. for them, um, and uh, so yeah, putting him up against the Undertaker, I mean, it's essentially just setting up a feud where the Undertaker is going to kill them all. Um, which spoilers, I'm pretty sure he does. And so that's that's a whole thing there. But I mean, you know, we're kind of the story here is that Cena's kind of ascended here, and so the question is, will he continue on against Benoit next week? And so I mean, on some level maybe to be expected because Cena is, uh, he's not getting the rockets trapped to him as they would sometimes say with, with guys. But, uh, you know, people are
1: looking at him they're saying, you know, this guy, he's got some goods, they think. So that's going to be big for Cena. One last thing. It's kind of funny that these like shady Italian mafia types end up getting where they are this week because they worked with the police. Oh, interesting. There you go. Well, that's, that's some of the,
0: uh, some of the quality they have for, uh, from the mafias, there's, there's the, they they work with these people who are, uh you know, seemingly honest, but they're just kind of making people, uh you know, they're kind of bring people down to their level. Very interesting.
1: Very but interesting. FBI aside, great minute event, sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was good. This was actually substantial. I think this one was like seventeen minutes almost, with some with commercial break time in there. So that's an actual substantial piece of business there, which is which is good. Um, and so yeah, so let's talk about final thoughts. Um, Chris, let's, let's talk about, it. you know, was this show, uh, uh, you know, using our scale of here comes the pain, shut your mouth or just bring
1: it. Was it bad eh, or good? Um, what did you think? Just bring it. And I think this is the first one that I've given that rating to, uh, for all the times that you've dusted me off the shelf. This is, this is the one that I thought was, a, a good show top to bottom with the exception of Nathan Jones. Um, other than that, I mean, even the, the even the Jamie Noble and Nydia match and generally, you know, that's been my least favorite um, part of of this show over the past year. Uh, even that match was great. And then we had Le Nouvelle uh, <laughs> which which was fantastic and Sable. And I mean, and then Brock Lesnar and Matt Hardy at the start of the show. What's not to love?
0: There you go. So you get a big just bring it from Kristen Matrenko You know, yep. I like the show less, man. I'm gonna shut your mouth, or maybe even a little less than that, honestly. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, And, Like, I think because um, I don't know what they're doing with this Piper stuff. It didn't work as well for me, uh, so I don't know where they're going with it. Chris, Chris is making who cares go, it's, it's,
1: faces here. It's, it's it's I, I mean I don't like it. Mention that in my rating. Yes, Piper. Like, how, like does it does it matter? I mean, just him being there is 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 exciting stuff. Wow, I think it Matt. How you feel you about, have, uh, like this podcast has made you jaded and has no, elevated okay. your standards. You're, you're, you know, you're the problem with the WWE universe. You and the people who are cheering for Tori Wilson.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. I, I'm sure about that. You know, like I can't help but look at these things and go, like, okay, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? Who am I supposed to be liking? Where is this feud advancing? I mean, unfortunately, we are headed towards some sort of like Vince roddy piper hogan thing and it's just like in 2003 that's like crazy that's your kind of main thing even if it's you get your fun nostalgia stuff there even if it's fun to get piper on there again if it's gonna be leading to an actual match between people uh you know you don't think you, i don't think you want to see those
1: guys in particular fight oh each other. sure no. yeah and we probably don't really need to see a hulk hogan match but but i wouldn't mind it i wouldn't mind it 2003 sure yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just not there with it. Now, the things I will say about the show,
0: I like the Benoit-Rhino match. I like Ray. I think the main event was was fairly fun there. Now, the one thing I will say also, which we didn't really talk too much about specifically, and, and maybe it's tough to do this, but, you know, booking your, your decisions you make, so that's fine. I wish Brock had a more active role in this upcoming main event spot. Like, Brock is kind of more in the background with this. You know, he's a brand-new WWE champion, but he's not really feuding with anybody. He's just kind of ready for whoever's ever coming down the pipe with the— no more contendership spot. So it's kind of like I wish Brock was a little bit more active as our new and exciting WWE champion. So that's the other thing I, I'll say.
1: I think that's a fair criticism, and that you Thank know you. his his only heat with um, the participants uh, of this tournament was sort of in like a like a pretty a pretty mild uh, yeah. backstage confrontation.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm going to beat you, just to be clear. Actually, I'm going to beat you. He's like, beat each other and then come see me. It's like, all right, there it is. Sign the checks. Move it on. Well, we'll see if things heat up
1: next week. And I think they probably will.
0: I hope so. It might might even take the week after that to to actually have the contender, you know, have a real role. So we will see. We will see. So next week's show is going to be the April 17th, 2003 episode of SmackDown. So if you're watching along with us there, you can uh, check that out. Uh, you know, otherwise, feel free to uh, check us out on social media. There, SmackDown Six Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, be sure to share the show with a friend. If it's somebody in your life you think would like it, uh, I mean, come on, you, you probably know somebody who likes some them. Maybe your mom. Maybe you know, mom. maybe yeah, maybe your boss at work. Yeah, you get your boss to listen to the podcast and be like, what do you think about the Sable thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I think about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're just, you know, we're trying to engage with the pop culture of the time on their level and uh, be real about it. And so yeah, that's that's what we are. That's what we're doing here. So. With
1: pop culture from 2003. Yes. That's right.
0: And we're looking at it the whole time and realizing, man, maybe I don't take us pretty woke. Who knows? So that is going to do it
1: for us here on the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, happy to be on and I'm just going to make my way over back to the shelf right now and, um, you know, bring me back at some point. I'd love to, and you know what? It's perfect because I'm sure there's a
0: little dust spot there where you got up from. We can put you back on there, <laughs> yeah. no problem. You're right there with Piper's Pit and Hulkamania and a couple other guests on the podcast.
1: That's perfect. Yeah, and Daniel Pettipaw. Yeah, that's right.
0: Exactly. He's up there. I mean, you guys can talk while you're up there, which I think is good. I'm afraid, of course, that if you guys do talk while you're up there, you would uh, you kind of unintentionally make a better podcast than the ones that I'm part of. So that's my only fear there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just hope that this this like shelf is reasonably well secured.
0: I'll I'll take a look at it and do some double checking there. I'm gonna make sure it's level and make sure there's some load bearing stuff going on with it there. So okay, yeah, I'm, I don't want, I don't Appreciate want my guys on the shelf to be worried about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So folks, thank you for joining us here on the SmackDown Sex Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to it with us. And uh, as we go out this week, I just hope that whatever happens, just lock the door when you shower, folks.